Good morning. I guess we'll get the right volume on this gadget we've got. I was blessed by Sunday school. We, uh, it's a good introduction to the message, actually. The words that I believe the Lord has laid on my heart for this morning. We talked about having a vision, and where there's no vision, the people perish. There's not a vision, the people will die. They'll walk away from God, they'll forget their morality. Where there's no vision. Um, How many of the children here have heard the fairy tale or the fable about the rabbit and the turtle? Yeah, okay. So the story goes, a rabbit was sort of making fun of a turtle for being slow, being a slow poke and never getting anywhere. And so the turtle challenged the rabbit, the turtle challenged the rabbit to a race. I never knew that story was a tongue twister. And so they race and of course the rabbit takes off and he's halfway done with the race and the turtle's nowhere in sight so he lays down for a nap and then you know what happens when he wakes up. The turtle is crossing the finish line. And you may wonder what that story has to do with vision. Um, My next question for you is, what distractions do you face that take your eyes off of the prize? What is it in your life that gets you distracted from your vision, from your mission, or your goal? And I think we can all relate to at some time in our lives where we've got got sidetracked. And uh, we've, we've forgotten what life's all about. I'm going to read a quick story out of Exodus chapter 16. This is, this is just going to illustrate how easy it is for people to lose track of what they're doing and what their vision is. This is the children of Israel. They had just come out of Egypt. The Lord delivered them miraculously um, through the ten plagues. Um, after the tenth plague, they, they fled out of Egypt in the middle of the night. The Lord opened the Red Sea for them. They walked right through. These guys are on a roll, okay? They get to the other side of the Red Sea, and there's singing, there's dancing, there's music. Miriam sings a song about how mighty the Lord is delivering them from Egypt. And what's their mission? Their mission is to get to the promised land, Canaan, right? That's where they're headed, and they're making good progress. But then they sort of run into a buzzsaw. Okay, have you ever run into a buzzsaw in your life where things are rocking and rolling pretty good and then something happens and just flattens you? They go three days without water and suddenly they want to be back in Egypt. The Lord has Moses throw a tree branch into the water. The water turns sweet and they're back on their way. The Lord said, I did that to show my children who I am. Not long afterwards, though, they run out of food. So now, Exodus 16, verse 1, They took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, 
which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Do you think it's a coincidence this is called the wilderness of sin? Now, when you're hungry, nothing much else matters. Okay, I'll give them that. But they had just had several mighty victories. The Lord had proved himself faithful. And they'd forgotten what their mission was. They'd forgotten that there's a promised land ahead that the Lord is leading them to by fire at night and a cloud by day. And uh, they suddenly want to be back in Egypt under, in slavery. So I want you to think a little bit about your own life this morning. Think about my life. Um, what takes you off track? What gets you off your goal? Do you have a goal? Do you have a mission? If you're not sure what that is, it'd be good to spend some time on that. Um, if you could boil your life down to one thing, condense everything in your life down to one thing, What's the one thing that matters for your life on earth before you die? What is that one thing? Do you know what it is? And do you have your eyes on that thing? Sometimes we do get knocked off our feet. Sometimes life throws us a curveball, as they say. Sometimes it lands a haymaker. And if we don't have a vision, if we don't know what our goal is, it's going to take us out. Our text this morning is 1 Samuel chapter 15. I'd like if you could turn there and follow along as I read. Before we start reading in verse 1. I'd like to set the stage for this a little bit. We back up to chapter 10 of 1 Samuel. So Israel is now in Canaan and they want a king. Okay, So they made it to the promised land and now they want a king like all the nations around them because that's going so well for everyone else. The Lord gives in and the Lord says, okay, you want a king, I'll give you a king. So in chapter 10, Saul is anointed king over Israel. We see um, in verse 9 that the Spirit of God came over Saul. He was prophesying. Verse 9 says God gave him another heart. Okay. In chapter 11, Saul defeats the Ammonites. Remember, they had, they had, come, they had uh, sort of been terrifying the children of Israel. So Israel reached out to them and said, we'd like to make a covenant of peace with you so that you don't kill us. And the Ammonites said, yeah, that's cool. A covenant is great on one condition that we take your right eye out of every man here. And uh, suddenly that covenant didn't look so good. And so they got frightened. And every it says... Where is it here? 
they said they need seven days to think about that, <laughs> okay? To think about whether they're willing to give up their right eye to have peace with the Ammonites. And Saul hears about this, and Saul is furious. He says, what is going on? It's verse 6, chapter 11. The Spirit of God came upon Saul. His anger was kindled greatly. So Saul takes two oxen, he cuts them up into many small pieces, and he sends them all throughout the land. And he said, this is what's going to happen to, uh, to anyone that doesn't come after, doesn't follow me. And so the fear of the Lord fell on the people, all right? So that's, that's chapter 11. And then in verse 15, he's officially confirmed the king of Israel. He was anointed in the chapter before. Now he's officially the king. And he's uniting the nation against the Ammonites. Chapter 12, Samuel blesses Israel. Samuel's the prophet who anointed Saul, remember? He prays for Israel that they would remain faithful. Chapter 13, Saul starts to run into trouble. He offers a sacrifice to ask the Lord about going into battle. And Samuel had instructed him to wait until Samuel gets there. Samuel's the priest. Samuel offers the sacrifices. Saul got tired of waiting. He offered the sacrifice. And Samuel said, your kingdom is going to be taken from you. So Saul begins to run into trouble. However, chapter 14, um, the children of Israel have one victory after another. Jonathan uh, smites the Philistines. They go on in chapter 14. They defeat the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites. And once again, the nation of Israel seems to be back on track with Saul as their king. So I'd like to pick up there, beginning of chapter 15. Samuel said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. So the Lord is about to avenge Amalek, about to take vengeance on those who had wronged his children. Now listen, Saul's given a mission to do. I want you to think about this. Samuel says, verse 3, Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and women, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, these are, this is a tribe or a, a group who had been kind to the Israelites. He says to the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. Uh-oh. So think about what was his mission to utterly destroy. He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile 
and refuse that they'd utterly destroyed. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place, and is gone about, and passed on, and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. It's almost like Saul knows he did something wrong, huh? He sees Samuel, and he said, I've done, I've done what the Lord told me to do. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleating of the sheep in mine ears, and the lowing of the oxen, which I hear? And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. And Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I'll tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. And Samuel said, When thou was little in thine own sight, was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel? And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they be consumed. Wherefore then did thou not obey the voice of the Lord? but did fly upon the spoil, and did evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag the king of Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. The rest of the chapter goes on. Saul repents of the sin that he knew he had committed. However, the kingdom has been taken from him already. And then Samuel uh, kills Agag. He takes his life and finishes off what Saul should have done. I want to use this story as an example of a man of God getting distracted from the mission that he was given to do. His mission, verse 3, was to utterly destroy Amalek. It's a bloody story. I don't like to think about them killing women and children, but that's the story, and that's the, that's the job that the Lord gave him to do, which they did. But what did they not do? They kept the king alive, and they kept what? They kept the best of the sheep and the oxen. Now, you can debate whether this was... Do you think they were actually going to sacrifice these animals? Or do you think that was maybe a story that he made up when he was caught? Oh. Yeah, we're going to sacrifice them. We're going to sacrifice them to the Lord. That's why... And he blamed it on the people, right? 
Over and over, we can read through the chapter, he says, they kept the best. I have done the commandment of the Lord. The people kept the best of the animals for a sacrifice. So Samuel calls him out on that, and Samuel says, you are the king. God anointed you king over Israel. And he calls him out on the blame that he's laying on the people that he is supposed to be leading. To make matters worse, like we said, he lied about it. He lied about it in verse 13. He told Samuel, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. 15, verse 20, verse 15, he lies again, and he blames his people for his failure. So, I think, I thought a little bit about how I would condense my life down to, to one mission. And I think you could go many different ways with this, but I think one way to, to sum it up would be to say love God or to honor God. And if you do that with your life, everything else will fall into place. So if my mission is to love and to honor God in everything I do and say, how can I keep from getting distracted from that goal? How can I keep from being tripped up by, by life, by those, by myself or by those who um, are against the work of the Lord. I think for most of us, we find that we're our, we're our own greatest enemy most of the time, I think. At least for me, a lot of the blame that I cast um, on others or on my situations actually comes back to poor choices for myself or to lack of focus or to losing sight of the vision. So I'm going to go into the New Testament now and we're going to talk about three ways to help us keep our eyes on the prize and to keep our vision and our mission in focus. The Bible has a lot of things to say about staying faithful, staying true, running the race, that's a common uh, metaphor that they use in the New Testament. And we can see a lot of um, ways that we have here written by the Holy Spirit to help us. The first one is in Hebrews chapter 12. You don't have to turn there. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 2. Our mission is not to go kill a people group or destroy a city. But I would argue that we have just as an important of a mission as that, possibly a more eternally significant one. Hebrews chapter 12. Wherefore, so let me back up. Chapter 11 is what? What do we call chapter 11? Any any of the children know? Hebrews chapter 11 is the faith chapter, right? So it talks about all the heroes of faith. And then chapter 12 starts out with wherefore. So that word there means given what we have just talked about or what we have just seen, these heroes of faith, then we go on. Wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. The cloud of witnesses are the, is the, the chapter 11, okay? The heroes of faith. 
And I think we could say that's anyone that's gone before us and given us a good example and is maybe waiting for us in glory. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So you want to know how to avoid distractions and getting tripped up, running into a buzzsaw, so to speak. First one is lay aside every weight. I think that's what I see in these verses. That is so important. There are so many weights that weigh us down. That It's like you know running a race with a ball and a chain around your foot sometimes. If you're holding on to sin, if you're harboring sin in your life, I think that's the weight that you will not, and you will not win the race. Our example is Jesus Christ. It says that here. Looking unto Jesus, verse 2, it tells us how he endured the cross because there was joy ahead of him. And that's who we look to. That's our example. And then we have this cloud of witnesses that we talked about in verse 11. And I like to think of that as my, my grandparents, maybe my great-grandparents, people I've looked up to who have set a good example for me who are now looking on and they are watching and waiting. And uh, because of them and because of our example in Jesus, we lay aside the sin. It encourages us to be patient. Verse 1. Run with patience the race that is set before us. Nothing good happens overnight. Let's be patient in this race. Get rid of anything that slows you down or distracts you. Think about your own life. What is that one thing or two or three that slows you down, that is like that ball and chain around your ankle and you're trying to run the race but you cannot get rid of something that is hindering you. Follow Christ's example in enduring suffering. This race is going to involve suffering because there is joy ahead. So lay aside every weight. I'll turn to Revelation chapter 2. Verse 7. This is a letter to the church at Ephesus. He's encouraging them to be faithful because Jesus is coming back. What can we learn from this? He that hath an ear, verse 7, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. We must overcome. We have a job to do. Do you want to eat of the tree of the eat of the fruit of the tree of life someday? This is a future promise. And what does it say? In order to do that, we must overcome, right? So, how do we overcome? What does that mean? 
in this race that we're running, as we think about what our vision and our mission is, how do we overcome in this life? What does that mean? We get a clue. Actually, we get the whole answer for everything in chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. Verse 10 and 11. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Now listen. They overcame him. Him is the accuser of the brethren. It's the devil. How do we overcome? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. If you want to overcome, make sure it involves the blood of the Lamb. You can try your whole life to overcome. Get everything right if the blood of the Lamb does not help you overcome. I think you might be disappointed. That's encouraging me. That's encouraging to me. A lot of times we talk about overcoming, and it immediately, you know, I think, oh, that sounds like a lot of work. I'm tired already, and I just got started. And then we see that we overcome by the word of the Lamb, or by the blood of the Lamb, and the word of the testimony. Finally, let's turn to Philippians chapter 3. How do we keep from following in in Saul's footsteps? And after, after victory after victory, one after another, you stumble so badly as he's destroying the Amalekites. And it has major consequences for him. How does that, what does that look like in our life? How do we keep our eyes on the prize? How do we keep our focus on what's right? We lay aside every weight. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And then Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I, let's all read verse 14 together. <clears throat> Actually, we all have different versions, so <laughs> that might not work too well. Verse 14 says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He forgets, he's saying, forget the past. I think I think that's taken to say, whatever is hindering you and dragging you down, forget that. But don't just forget that. You have to also reach forward into those things which are before and then press toward the mark. Press toward the mark. What is that? In conclusion... What is the mark that you're pressing for? Is it money? Is it a certain number in the bank? Is it fame? Maybe you don't care about money, but you just really want to be looked up to by 
by others. Maybe you're hungry for fame. Maybe it's knowledge. Maybe you think knowledge is the goal of your life. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's something more more subtle like comfort or just having a good life or just having it easy. Having an easy life. That's If I could just have one thing in life, it would just to be relaxed and comfortable. Maybe that's the goal. So what is the mark that you're pushing for, that you're pressing for? Are you being distracted and drawn away by the world? Have you taken your eyes off of the prize? Have you taken your eyes off Jesus Christ, our example? Or will we follow Christ's example that we see in Hebrews 12 and endure because there's joy to come? I'd like to invite the worship team up here again. We're going to sing one more song if we have a pianist. Um, we're going to sing I'm Pressing On the Upward Way. Why don't we stand for this song? For those, for anyone that runs the slides, we're just going to sing the first and the last verse, so just two verses. So you'll just have to skip a couple verses in the middle. But as we get ready to sing, I'm pressing on the upward way. Let's remember to lay aside every weight that besets us. I think that's the sin in our life or anything that weighs us down that distracts us. Secondly, let's overcome. He that overcometh shall be given the crown of life. Overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And then third in Philippians, we press toward the mark for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus.